this morning, and I particularly enjoy worshiping here as we sing together and we focus on our living Savior, the Lord Jesus. This morning, the Lord had laid upon my heart a subject of growing in Christ. We're going to do the Lord's table today. We, as Christians, we like to look at our life and see how we're doing. And recently, I read about a survey. The question was, do you know who Jesus is, was the question. And they surveyed a lot of people and asked them about Christ and about salvation. And here are some of the result. 52% of evangelical believers uh, believe that people are basically good. And if we're really good enough, we don't need a Savior. An astonishing 78% think that Jesus is a created being. That's the old heresy of Arianism. And more than half of evangelical Christians, as well as two-thirds of Americans in general, agree that God accepts the worship of all religions. Those are shocking statistics, are they not? This morning... I want to focus in 1 John chapter 2 for a little bit, verses 12 through 14. We'll turn there in a minute. But I want to talk about our faith in Jesus Christ started when we were saved. You and I may have known about him, yet at salvation he became real. How does Jesus Christ this morning occupy your thoughts as we prepare for the Lord's table and your everyday life? What is your understanding, what is your view of Jesus Christ? In 1 John, uh, the second chapter, uh, there's a very quick section of Scripture there, and John talks about he's writing to his little children, and I'm going to summarize this very quickly. Uh, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, isn't that what happened when we began the Christian walk? All of a sudden, Jesus came real. We understood that he died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again, and all of a sudden, Christ meant something to us. It was real. He was our Savior. He was our forgiver. Then the second step of Christian growth here is young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And as Christians, we begin to understand there's a spiritual war going on. And Satan is the commander of evil. 
And our only victory can be found in Jesus Christ. We learn how important Christ is in our daily life and in our daily walk. And the third one this morning is something I want to spend some time on for each of us so that no one will be able to walk out of Laramie Valley Chapel this morning and say, well, I didn't understand how to grow in my Christian life. When I'm through this morning, I hope you have one more uh, step in your understanding about how to grow in your Christian faith. He says, fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. You know the one who always was, who is, who will be. In eternity past, Jesus Christ is God. He's part of the Trinity. He's part of the one God who manifests himself in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists as one, yet we see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each God. You say, I don't understand that. Good. You have all of eternity to learn about it, and so do I. You and I need to believe what God has revealed in his word and follow it. In 2 Samuel 7.22 it says, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Friends, there's never a time that God has not existed in eternity past. Now, anybody can get your mind around that. I want to talk to you after the service. Can you imagine? He has always been God. He is in eternity past. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth, your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing's too hard for you. You know, you go out on these clear nights, and we have a wonderful place to see the stars in Laramie. Some of the nights are just gorgeous. And realize that God put every one of those things there. The sun comes up in the morning. God put it there. The moon at night. God put it there. God made the heavens and the earth. And mankind's still trying to figure out how big the heavens are. They're huge. One of the passages in the New Testament that I dearly love is Colossians 1, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says this about Christ. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Boy, doesn't that tell us who Christ is? You know, we're coming up to a time where everybody, if they think anything about Christmas, it's the baby Jesus. Friends, it's much bigger than that. We're going to try to unfold a few things this morning. It's an incredible thing. But you write Colossians 1, 15 through 18 down. Spend some time just meditating on it. First John, the Gospel of John, the first two verses say this. In the beginning was the Word. Christ is called the Word here. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Christ, an intricate part of, it, of the Trinity in all eternity past. Christ, I, I love Revelation 1.8. He's called the Alpha and the Omega. He was, he is, and he will be. It says, Christ has always existed in eternity past. Now, think with me. There has never been a time in all eternity past that Christ has not existed. He is our eternal God. Revelation 13, 8, if you read that description of Christ there, it's amazing. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before God ever created <clears throat> the heavens or the earth, Christ was the Lamb of God. Now, you and I have a real problem grasping God sometimes. You know why? Because everything he sees, he sees through an eternal lens. He's all-knowing. And there's nothing about eternity past or eternity future Christ doesn't know about. And one of the great things about the Bible is that God tells us some things he knows about ahead of time and the prophets write them down and then we see them come to pass. Amazing. Truly amazing. He is the creator of heaven, earth, and every creature and every human being. I love Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That's so true. And then the second half of that, 
he talks about the <clears throat> glory and dignity of the Bible and how important the Bible is. You want two proofs that God exists? One is creation. The other is his word. Both of those are so powerful. Now, when God, in the book of Genesis, said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, he knew what he was doing. He knew why he was doing it. And what did he do? He made a perfect place for human beings to dwell. Today, if we tried to go and live on Mars, we'd probably have trouble. Any other planet in the universe except planet Earth has been made so that man could dwell on it. And originally, it was a perfect place, perfect environment. They had no concept of a snowstorm. The original creation, why did God do that? So that he could dwell with Adam and Eve. He could dwell with man. Now, the proof text for that is clear back in the book of Revelation, verse 21, verse 3. God's going to make the new heavens and the new earth so that he, and the new Jerusalem so that he can dwell with men. God wants to walk and talk with each one, with every believer. And then I like to think of Psalm 139. We need to read that more often and get the point that God made each one of us he knew all about you when he put you together. He had your life, the number of days planned. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And then he put you in the book of life. Every human being that God created, he put in the book of life. John tells us later how we're removed from the book of life. And we won't go into that right now. But starting with Christ, when Christ came to the earth, he came to show man what God was like. Adam and Eve, when they walked and talked with God, God was spirit. He just spoke to them. He spoke to Abraham, to Moses, to Noah. John 3.16 is a historic verse. By that I mean Christians, and since John wrote it, down through the centuries, have latched onto it because it tells us so much about Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, your understanding and your faith in Christ is absolutely essential. I ask you, 
Has he become real to you this morning? When you, when God pulls a veil and you comprehend who Christ is, he is the only hope of eternal life. As you follow from Genesis through Revelation, in Genesis 3.21, you remember the first thing that God told Adam and Eve after he told them the consequences of the curse? He, he says, you folks have unacceptable covering. And he began to explain that to them. He took, two, took some animals and he slayed them. And he covered Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. And in Hebrews, we learn a principle here. Without the shedding of blood... There's no forgiveness of sins. This morning, we're going to take the cup. When we take that cup, we're going to say and remember that it represents the blood of Christ who made the once and for all payment for our sins. It reminds us of what Christ did. And we know he told Adam and Eve about the blood because in chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain and Abel got in a dispute over what is an acceptable offering, what is an unacceptable offering. Cain got so mad that he killed his brother. Then we see God meeting with Abraham in Genesis 12, and he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. We have a solid line from Abraham through his seed, the Savior came, and he has indeed blessed the whole earth. And through Abraham, God said that it would be a holy nation. God chose the nation Israel, and for people today, who are wanting to sideline the nation of Israel, forget it. God chose them. He promised it to them. He's not going to go back on his word. And today, one of the proofs of the Bible is the nation of Israel exists. Now, it has to exist so that the events of the book of Revelation can come to pass. And just in case you're worried, uh, the gates... And the foundations are, were reminded of the 12 tribes of Israel. So God's not through with them from the beginning to the end. Now, I want you to think quickly with me about the virgin birth. The whole Old Testament is looking forward to Christ the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The virgin birth in Genesis 3.15, her seed crushed the serpent's head. And then Isaiah 7.14 and 9.6 and 7, a virgin will conceive and bear a child. And we know 
at this time of the year, we talk about the Virgin Mary and giving birth to Christ. Think of that. God taking on himself the form of a human being. The eternal God taking on himself the form of a man. Then we know he led a sinless life. He demonstrated in word and deed that he was indeed the Messiah that Israel had looked forward to. And then at the end of his ministry, after the triumphal entry where thousands were wanting him to be king, they despised and rejected him, and he was crucified, and the gospel's so vivid about these things. Then he was put on the cross, and he suffered and bled and died, and he was buried, and he was resurrected. He literally raised himself from the dead. Then in a few days, after his resurrection, seen by hun he was seen by hundreds. He was touched. He ate. He bodily rose from the dead. He bodily ascended into heaven. And then he established the church, which is called the mystery. For those who believe the gospel that Christ died for our sins was buried and rose again. Now, since the birth of Christ, Jesus is the God-man. Showing man what God's like. Now, quickly, we're going to run through what else he did. You know, his past is breathtaking. The Gospels demonstrate what he did when he lived on this earth. What's the next thing we're going to look for to see the, bodily, the body of Christ, the, <clears throat> the person of Christ? 1 Thessalonians says, one of these days, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will be raised first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. Think of that. Now, as you read your Bible, from the virgin birth on, Jesus is as real as you and I. In eternity future, I look forward to seeing Jesus. I want to give him a hug. I just want to thank him for his great love. The rapture occurs. The judgment seat for all believers. It will not be some mystical event. Jesus will be there in person and you and I will stand before him. The book of Revelation is about the tribulation or God's judgment on the earth. He is going to judge the nations of the world. And at the end, he is physically going to come back. He is physically going to defeat 
the nations of the world. He just speaks them out of existence. At Armageddon, he will have the victory over all the Gentile nations of the world. He will be present at the judgment of the sheep and the goats, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Christ will be there. And during the millennial rule and reign that the Old Testament prophets wrote about, where Israel will be the key nation of the world, and Christ will literally rule and reign for 1,000 years, he'll be there as bodily as any one of us. Then, after the millennium, all the judgment taking care of one final judgment, the great white throne, he will be there bodily in his presence. The nations of the, the unsaved of all the nations of, that have ever lived, he'll judge the fallen angels, Satan, and the, every unsaved person of humanity. Then he'll set up his eternal reign. We, we don't know a lot. We just know a little bit. What is heaven going to be like? Well, Christ is going to be the centerpiece. And he'll be as real in his glorified body as you or I. What was his glorified body? It was what his body was like when he rose from the dead. That was an amazing thing. After he rose from the dead, he could eat. He could walk through a wall. The men walking along the road of Emmaus, and he just appears there with them. You know, I think in our glorified bodies, we'll probably have this ability to travel at the speed of thought. And then we'll be as real as we are sitting here. The word that's used in Revelation, kenos, means that something existed, it was changed, it was made better, and it's different. That's the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Now, why is God doing all this? Because he wants to dwell with men. He wants to walk and talk with us, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. This Jesus... And we, we cannot comprehend an infinite God as he is. And it transcends our universe and beyond our intelligence and imagination. Let me give you for a little example. Some months ago, Pastor Paul told us about Canis Majoris. Now, you remember Canis Majoris. That's the last new star that we have found in our galaxy. It's 4,900 light years away. 
That's hard to see. That's next door, isn't it? They say that over one billion suns could fit within it. God is going to take the heavens that we see and he is going to change them and make them better and different because we're going to have new heavens and a new earth before you finish the book of Revelation you find out that this earth is going to go up in smoke it's going to be in a great fire but God says he's going to take something that was existed, he's going to change it, he's going to make it better and going to make it different. And in the forever reign of God, there's a new earth, new heavens, new earth, and just a minute, the new Jerusalem. What an amazing thing. God did all this so that he could have a relationship with man and with nature, with God. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells every believer. When you got saved, he will indwell you forever. That's one of the reasons that when Christians pass, we pass from this life into his presence because we belong to him. You know, you think about eternity with Christ and quite honestly, we will spend forever learning new things about the loveliness and the greatness and the goodness and the mercy of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now this morning, we're going to take the Lord's table. Are you going to think as a child? Thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. Or a young man, Lord, thank you for giving me victory. Or an old man, as John used it, the eternalness of our God. We have a Savior who loved us and gave himself for us so that we have the privilege to spend eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? And that'll pep up the Lord's table in your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray that today your Spirit would open our understanding as to who Christ is and what he has done and what he's going to do. And Lord, with great enthusiasm, we look forward to spending eternity with you. So we ask as we celebrate the table today, you would use all these
efforts to bring honor and glory to your name. We ask it now in Christ's name. Amen. It is our tradition as we prepare our hearts for the communion.